Hi, welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect movies the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and with me is my co-host, Clay Williams. Today we're going to talk about a pretty fuckable fish. <laughs> That's it? I gotta say. <laughs> That's the one? He's pretty hot. We went with... All right. He's not wrong. He's, lo- he's looking like a snack. Would we rather have Doug Jones without the CG? It's just Sally Hawkins. I don't think there was much And CG. the man. No, I mean, like... Just nothing. Just Doug Jones. and But he plays the fish man. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, he, yeah. no makeup. He just, like, he looks yeah, regular. Yes. People yeah. are like, the fish man. It's like in the new Harrison Ford movie. It's like the dog is a human. Oh, God. I can see that. I, I mean, I mean, Doug Jones is a wild-looking person. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, he's kind of like, he's kind of like moldable. You know? Oh, I love him. I love him. This is going to be a lot of Doug Jones love on this podcast i'm sure and um with us is wes musinski how are you i'm good how about you guys it's good to be back yeah it's been a while yeah i don't know we were talking about like kind of a sacred deer yeah 2017 is your niche i guess it is it is it's a good year or carbon year it's uh i think we've said this a few times our favorite Mm. i mean mine at least I shouldn't say we. 2014 it's, and 2017 were definitely, like, incredible years for movies. Yeah, I would... I, I, yeah, 2017 is probably at least top two years for me. At mm-hmm. least. Um, 2019 was pretty dope. And 2019. 2016 was very top-heavy. 2013 um, is also... Yeah, 2013 is pretty good. In contention. Um, so do you have a history with the Oscars at all? Where it's like Yeah, we're had... talking about Best Picture winners. That's like the a series year. that we've kind of forgotten. Oh, like a extensive history, like just watching the Oscars? Or... Yeah. What's your relationship, basically? When I was... Spill. I think I first... Spill the tea. <laughs> <laughs> I first really got into like award season when I was about... 13 because i i was a huge and this is gonna sound really embarrassing but i was a huge like avatar campaigner (laughs) i was really really like clamoring for the hurt locker to lose because i wanted avatar to win so bad oh for i don't know why my mind went to Shyamalan's movie oh the last airbender yeah Man, that was weird. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it was supposed to get a lot of awards love, that movie. Yeah, weird. Clearly. All right, yeah, go <laughs> on. That was, yeah. But uh, that was when I first really paid attention to, like, how award season kind of operates. Like, I was really like, I was like, okay, okay, I can, I can see myself, like, really paying attention to this, really getting into, you know, the different movies that the Oscars, like, you know, awards and stuff like that. Um, but, like, the past two years have been, like, a complete fucking nightmare, like, <laughs> award season-wise. Like, it's... I think it's mostly has to do with, like, Twitter, you know? Like, if I was not on Twitter during award season, then it wouldn't be as bad. But since I am on Twitter, it's like, oh, wow, it's really like this. <laughs> I think especially this year, too, you can 
see that Twitter has formed different camps where it's like, you know, you're either La La Land or Moonlight. You're going to be uh, three billboards or Shape of Water. Like, you got to pick a side to defend. And whether the other side has to do, you can't agree with it. So It's, it's like Hunger yeah. Games districts. <laughs> yeah, honestly. exactly. So w- would you say, like, you were, are you, were you more unhappy with the discourse behind award season or, like, the actual choices award shows would make? It was probably more to do with the discourse, although there's definitely, like, some criticism that can be, like, given to the Academy and award season for how they kind of, like, exclude, <laughs> exclude people of color and stuff like that and, you know. But um, I think... Just the discourse is so exhausting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a, a mix of those. And, you know, yeah. It's a little bit of both. Um, I think it's really interesting to talk about, like, our frustrations with award seasons, especially with, like, this year, because personally, they kind of got it right this year. I got to say... <laughs> Um, in 2017, I mean, not 2019. Oh, uh, oh, okay. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I love Parasite winning, but all the other winners, I don't know. Um, but no, 2017, the year we're kind of talking about, I mean, this is just, they really got it. Like, they were really onto something this year. Are you, um, are you talking with every, everything, not just picture? Honestly, yeah. I mean... I can't give, like, I'm looking at all of these. There isn't that one performance where I'm like, oh, go fuck yourself. Are you kidding me? There's, <laughs> it's, like, all of these are understandable or nice surprises. Like, like the big sick getting original screenplay. That's just cool. That's just, like, that's a, like, objectively cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so. That's a delightful, that's a delightful movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, and honestly, I can't see any other year for some reason that they would get that nomination. Mm-hmm. It, for some reason, it just worked out so perfectly. And I feel like they slide something into original screenplay every year like that, like First Reformed and Knives Out, or it's like, all right, guys, you can have this one. <laughs> Throw my bone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just, I'm, and maybe you disagree with the winners, um, especially maybe in the acting categories, but I do think, though, like, nominations, just, you know, pure, pure nominations, they were really strong this year. I mean, the director, the director oh. noms, I feel like would are probably would match mine. Besides, maybe I probably throw in Denis for later on in twenty forty nine in there. But besides that, like, yeah, these are just extreme. It's just like one of the most impressive years the Oscars have ever had, in my opinion, with choices and um, uh, accepting or not accepting, but um, not excluding. Uh, performances that are worthy, whether it be a people of color or actors playing LGBTQ plus characters. It's just, they, it didn't, it doesn't feel like it was an exclusive club this year. And of course they, you know, there was probably ways they could have, um, nominations they could have given to, like, this is not perfect, but if compared to pretty much any other year, it's pretty fucking good. And compared to the following year, too. Okay, we don't talk about that. We're going to talk about <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, oh, God. We're going to have to. Yeah, it's we are, weird. We like, literally, a year after this, they just shit the fucking bed. So hard. God. It's kind of crazy. 
like what what happened this year that made all these nominations more special and more like good i think it was just the year itself um i guess there are some things that they could have latched onto and forgotten others like um as much love as they gave get out ladybird call me by your name they could have easily gotten to like an old old school kind of oscar Beatty kind of thing and to left those in the dirt so i think they were just really generous and um maybe they just had some newer younger uh more diverse members join this year that made the nominations feel um more with the time yeah like they... i could easily go ahead Wes. No, you're good. <laughs> wasn't this the year like almost right after the election it was kind of yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, could have, it like, was. Be, be seen as like a, you know, middle finger to Trump and the whole administration. Maybe. In a way that, it, or the, yeah, I could see that. Not the whole reason, but it could have like influenced it. You know, I think what political movement did influence this was the Me Too movement. Because uh, I'm yeah, pretty sure the whole thing broke um, right as like the fall festivals were starting. Um. And, you know, I, I think that might have given some boost to Shape of Water and maybe some more attention to three billboards um, uh. and, you know, other things. So, I mean, it, ter- it certainly has some effects, maybe more so than others. Well, I think I don't, well, I think the also the Me Too movement actually I think was more maybe 2016 because with the Casey Affleck stuff. So, but this was like we were was still this kind Weinstein? of Um No, 20 I think 2016 was Weinstein, right? Had to be. I I mean either one I could see as a possibility. But I think we were I think My we were more under 2017. But it doesn't matter. Um because I don't even think I mean I mean the Me Too movement has had a lot of impact on Hollywood uh, just overall in the last five years, but I do think this there was conversations being brought with these nominations like Francis or um, Francis McDormand's Oscar speech, one of the probably more famous of the entire decade of in like her talking about inclusion inclusion writers like yeah. that's that's one of the it was definitely like a political ceremony, mm. um, whether you like that or not. It was definitely had things needed. Things were being said, things were being addressed. Um, was this the year that Oprah was at the Globes and everyone was like she should run, or was that the last year? No, uh, no, um, maybe. I, I don't know. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was weird. That was a weird time. Um. Yeah, but like also like these winners, like you have um, a Mexican director winning, you have um, Jordan Peele winning best screenplay, you have um, well, I mean the act, the acting wins aren't are, are pretty white, but overall it's like they're they're like Coco won best animated. Um, there are these like films that they are trying to make kind of a statement, not maybe a statement, but. It's eye-opening. I, you know, I think that all these films were deservedly awarded, so I don't necessarily think it was like affirmative action or nonsense like that. I think it was just 
Hollywood maybe trying to recognize films that should be recognized. Um, and you could so is, easily see them making an effort by including someone like Kulia, where you could totally see them being like a number six or seven. Yeah. It's a little fancy. And, yeah. and you could totally see Joe Wright for Darkest Hour. And I like that movie, mm-hmm. but you could totally see him getting a director nom over a Gerwig or a Peel. That would be such a classic Academy move. Yeah. Um, which is cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm a big fan of these nominations. And again, it's just so fucking wild that they really just went a complete 180 the next year. I remember the big thing was like, if Tom Hanks was going to get in and everyone's like, he's still not getting nominated since Castaway. And finally <laughs> he got in for Won't You Be My Neighbor um, recently. But it's, it, it's very funny that he's Tom fucking Hanks and he still hasn't gotten in. It's like, <laughs> yeah it's like did a 180 like in 2018 it's kind of like a I don't know what they were doing it was like okay Shape of Water Green Book Parasite it's like <laughs> okay best two out of three what happened in 2018 let's go back another year Moonlight yeah Um, I think for, I mean we'll, we can talk about this maybe on Parasite but for me, it's it's clearly a divide into the old and new guard, where it's like clearly they're at war with each other and they can't decide what they want to say and what kind of emotional effect will have on the outcome. Yeah, it's so talking more, you know, going back to the discussion of how award season discourse can be inseparable is because. A lot of times we're psychoanalyzing the the you know the academy academy voting body when I just think that's that's an impossible impossible task and since they don't release their numbers we are left to so much speculation and imagination that we come up with pretty crazy narratives that could or could not be true um, so it's really hard to gauge like maybe sometimes they just liked what they liked and they're not trying to say something or maybe sometimes they were actually trying to say something um, it's it's a lot of politics that's for sure i mean that's been kind of that's been proven by like the amount of money that goes into everything the how people navigate through award season it's it's there's definitely a thing there but this year for some reason they kind of just made the choices that most people agreed with nomination wise win wise there's pl- there's plenty of arguments of course but nomination-wise, they were like, yeah, it's pretty good. So the directors, it's Peel, Gerwig, PTA, Nolan, Del Toro. Yeah. I think all of them will win eventually because none of them had already had won previously. I think I think that's a lineup where I'm like, okay, they will have some hardware in their lifetimes. I'm so like shocked Gerwig did not get a nomination for Little Women. That's... That's it's one of the thing. best directed movies, like, because you know you've directed a movie really well when there's like fights about how you like switch timelines. Well, I wasn't that upset about it because I couldn't tell what was the past and present, so I was yeah. I was very confused with the color, it's and so, I just yeah, didn't it's know. So confusing. Yeah, so the I haircut just and actual color correction. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, following the story it was so hard. It was very yeah. complicated. I just, I really couldn't deal with it. So, 
It was like it was like Incep- you know, like Inception actually. It was like better. Inception. Like, Inception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like God. I mean, it is wild though, because Little Women. Um, I love it. I like Lady Bird a bit more, but it's weird that Lady Bird got that nom, and Little Women did, because Little Women is such the more Oscar play. Mm. Like Lady Bird got a lot of love. Well, we don't need another Little for. Women. So. Oh my God. That's also. True. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it is one of the more odd things we're gonna look back at and be like, what happened there? Because it just it was such a layup for the Oscars, and they just for some reason were like, eh, no. There's a lot of things that aren't gonna be looked pat looked back on well. So I think Greta not getting in directing is gonna be on the top of the list. I don't think anybody's gonna try to make another Little Women except the only director who could even. Who even has that kind of confidence or hubris, hubris to try is probably Tarantino, which I kind of want to see a Tarantino <laughs> Little Women. I wouldn't mind like seeing that. <laughs> oh, I need to see it now. Oh, oh, I love that. Can Greta make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Oh yeah. <laughs> she could. Yeah. Maybe Chalamet as Cliff. <laughs> Sirsha oh. has to be a um, Rick Dalton. I can see it. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, but this has to be the best directing nomination lineup <laughs> of the decade, right? No question. Nolan, Peel, Berwick, Tam- PTA, Del Toro. There's just not a better directing lineup. I think I want to see the others compared, like you know, like in front of me, but. I mean, that's a pretty damn good list, yeah. yeah. We can't really argue with that. Yeah, because, like, like last year, you get Mel Gibson in there. And I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Not Mel. Oh, Mel, no. get out of there. What are you doing in there, Mel? <laughs> it's a big beard. Oh, God, Mel. Someone got Mel Gibson in my nominations. <laughs> He's over there, and it looks, you know, just someone clean it off. Jesus. Do you guys remember when Hacksaw Ridge got a lot of nominations? Which is so mind-blowing to me, because that was, like, Hallmark Channel-level cheesiness. Hideous movie. It's hideous. Um, I kind of like it, but I'm not going to defend it. Okay. Um, But yeah, no, this is a fantastic director lineup. Yeah, I'm looking through all of these, and, like, you know... Yeah, no, man, like, because it's just top to bottom, like, it, it, and it's also a thing is, you're all, they're also recognizing, like, weird, like, in, really interesting, ambitious movies, whether it be Get Out or Shape of Water, but they're also, but they also have balance of traditional Oscar picks, like Nolan and PTA, and you get, like, two debuts with Gerwig and Peel, which I don't Two debut, two debut directors in the for best for uh, the nominations is is that unheard of? Two debut, two two debut films for best director. I'm pretty sure it's happened before. Like, I definitely not as recently as this. Yeah, I can't think of an instance. Yeah. What do we think was number six? I'm pretty sure it was Sean Baker. 
for Florida Project. But he wasn't. But that wasn't nominated for. No, it was. It was McDonough. McDo- Obviously, oh, McDonough. yeah. Yes, yes. Because that was the people who liked that movie. Which okay, I, 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 you know, I'm not. We're not here to talk about it. That's another time. Yeah, that's but, another episode. But people would talk about how the three billboards got three acting noms and no director, which was very, which was very weird. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was definitely McDonough because that was also the best picture. Um, we've covered a lot of two horses over this series, whether it be Moonlight versus Law Land or um, Gravity in Twelve Years. Yeah, exactly. Um, the two horse race this year was two wildly different movies: Three Billboards and Shape of Water. Yeah, which is weird. Why the? Which is interesting that the Academy just were like, yeah, it's those two. It, it it was weird. Like I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't. I, Three Billboards. It has a lot of known actors. It's a very you know. It's a hot hotly discussed movie. Um, you know, it people really liked it when it came out. Um, and Shape of Water is. I mean, there's so many parodies and so many jokes of. Well, they they actually nominated the movie where a, a girl fucks a fish. Like, it, it, there was so many of those fucking jokes, because it was kind of, it was odd on paper, but if you actually watch the movie, it makes more sense. But it is interesting that they just gravitated to those two and didn't really consider anything else. Yeah. And it, and it is odd, even if you watch the movie. Um, I wonder if the preferential balloting system also affected Shipwater. And a lot of people had three billboards maybe at one. But they got pre. But uh, wait, who won the PGA? That's probably. I'll look that up. I'm pretty sure it's three billboards. I think you're right because the three billboards was. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I also did did want to mention that I worked at a. I remember this when I was watching it last night that I worked at a cinema when this came out, and. Cinema. God. Well, what what else do you want me to call it? A, a movie theater. theater, like an American. Theater. Okay, yeah, because movie theater. And I saw this, and the next day, I saw the post, which Michael Stuhlbarg is also in, and then the day after that, I saw Paddington Two, which Sally Hawkins is in. So I thought I was like in purgatory, <laughs> like, like I was never escaping these same three pe- two people. <laughs> three billboards actually. So Shape of Water actually won the PGA. Oh shit! Oh, okay. All right, which is wild. Oh, I think that, and um, that must mean uh, three billboards won the Golden Globe for which comedy. Means jack shit. Yeah, that was but such a funny movie. Three billboards. <laughs> it's hysterical. Yeah. Um, but McDonough is one of those guys that he's kind of hard to pin down because he is a dark, like satirist. I yeah. Guess. Kind of an absurdist. But you mentioned Michael Stuhlbarg. This is the year of Michael Stuhlbarg. Oh, gosh. It was the fall of Stuhlbarg, yeah. Missing out on Call Me By Your Name's nom- nomination for him really hurt. That is wild. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, no, it's not good. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, do, I mean, I do appreciate that they gave, gave a spot to Defoe for the Florida Project, who is my personal winner. Um, yeah, I, I think he, they, they lost me and then they won me back there. That has to be the worst snub of the these Oscars, right? Is Michael the entire Stuhlberg. decade? 
No, 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 sorry, uh, 2017. Oh, um, yeah, I, that's the, yeah, that's at least the first one that comes to mind. Chastain for Molly's Game was actually pretty big, too. Wes, do you have a take on Molly's Game? Um, I would if I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't seen it either, yeah. Um, I, but Miss Sloan, I saw that one with Jessica Chastain, she was really good in that. She's a good actress. What's so funny, Jack? No, I just haven't heard Miss Salone in a while. A while, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it feels fake. Yeah. The return of Miss Salone. <laughs> yeah. I made $100 million at domestic box office, right? Did Ms. it? Sloan? No shit. Yeah. Miss Salone made 100 mil? It's called a joke, Jack. Oh, okay. All right. uh, Boy. I mean, you like, gullible man. You I know. gullible man. It's bad. It's a, it's a disease. <laughs> um, but yeah, do, so Chastain really had a shot at Molly's Game. Oh, yeah. It's Chastain, and it's a Sorkin script, and it's... What, what's the movie? You know what? Well, no, no. I think Sorkin actually missed out on Adapted. No, he got it. Yeah, he got it. yeah. No, he didn't. No, no, he did. He, he, he was nominated for Adapted. Or am I confusing this with Steve Jobs? Because I think he he missed out on a nomination for either of those two. No, he he got adapted for Molly's Game. That is okay. right. just a fact. Must um, have been Steve Jobs he missed out on. Yeah, you also have ooh another weird thing about one of the weirder things about those Oscars was the it's it, the Kevin Spacey drama with or like the Christopher oh, Christopher what? Plummer. Well, Christopher, no, like I, I worded that horribly. Christopher Plummer getting that nomination for All the Money in the oh, World. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. God, All the Money in the World. That has oh, to be man. one of the most wild nominations. I mean, not necessarily nominations, but stories and storylines of the last decade. Yeah. Only Ridley Scott could pull that off, honestly. <laughs> what a king. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Seriously. That um, man has like seventeen movies this decade, right? Like, oh yeah, he works quick, and he's like in his nineties, I think. <laughs> and he's fifty-fifty. <clears throat> uh, like, like he he has a weird batting like batting ratio in the sense of good versus bad movies. Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I I think that's a fair ratio. For oh, like every. Have... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I oh, I was just gonna say it's. Funny how we've talked hardly about the actual movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I like, I like, we, we like to have the Oscar narrative um, first, yeah, and then we like, can yeah. talk, actually talk about the movie. Yeah. Um, this is The Shape of Water. It's fantastic. Which won Best Picture, Best Director, um, and no acting. Production? Is, no. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, Didn't it win production? It did. No, no. It also won best original score. Yeah, that's which... the when I'm still mad at. You're joking. No, no. I, in all seriousness, I'm gonna hit you. <laughs> okay. With this microphone. Well, do you remember last week you were talking about? We were talking about uh, takes that we're kind of embarrassed by, and you were like, when you got out of Moonlight, you were like, why was Mahershala absent? They should have like kept him along longer. And you were like, that was That's when I first account. saw it. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's what I'm saying. So when I first saw Shape of Water, I was like, 
it cannot lose to Phantom Thread. Like, Johnny Greenwood is going to win this. I will be very upset. And it's like, of course, like, because when you're so, when you're seeing it so long ago, that's just like an instinctual thing. And maybe it will change as, as rewatches start to, um, start to happen. So I guess like this time when I saw it again, it did sincerely make me appreciate uh, Desplat's score and not thinking about the race between him and Johnny. But I am still kind of <laughs> bummed about it. What do you think of Desplat, Wes? The spot? Sorry, Desplat. Oh, the, oh, the plot of the movie? No, Desplat. Alexander. Alexander Desplat. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. That was embarrassing. Anyway, um, that might be, I think, Alexander Desplat, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he might be, like, one of the better composers working right now. <clears throat> the Grand Budapest Hotel one he did, like, that was really good. Speaking of Little Women, his score for that is also terrific yeah he's top five he has to be top five best best original uh, best composers right now and like i mean shape of water without his score this movie is it's not this movie like like i don't like the score is such key and a part of the film's dna that if it doesn't have the score i don't know what this movie is and that and that's why i think he really deserved it is because he dictates so much of the actual tone and um, feeling and atmosphere of the entire movie at all points. Yeah, and I don't make that same argument for Johnny Greenwood. I'm not like discounting your argument, but that's also my talking points. But I think Phantom Thread still works without his score. I don't know if Shape Water does. I mean, that's kind of. I mean, maybe. Where were the other nominees? Him, Greenwood? Uh, Zimmer for. Um, Dunkirk, which is a great that, That's score. also fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's Talk like, about a movie that might not work without its score. Yeah. Um, three Billboards, which is a weird pick. I don't remember that score at all. I think. Did that movie even have a score? Gets I know, right? I, I, Carter I Burwell? Maybe? Yes, it is Carter Burwell. Good for, good pull. Congratulations, Jack. But you it's like not... million dollars. <laughs> Clearly. It's like... I don't have a problem with Carter Burwell, but he can be like, it feel like that is such a weird score. If he, his his scores feel like background music, I, all right, well that's what a score is, but it's how do I? I know what you mean. I know yeah, it's, it's I not know. really a part of the film. It's it not a presence. Like, yeah, yeah. It yeah, just feels like, like another aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, the Last Jedi, John Williams. Who? Wait. Oh shit! Is that a joke, or did you actually not hear me? Yes, it's a joke. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I I didn't know if you heard me or not. That's fair. Um, yeah, that that that, that's a great score. I think that the spot score for this, it's probably my favorite of his. I just think it's. I literally, I just think it's actually pitch perfect. It's just, it's just great. And he also, Jack, do you want to guess what other score? he's composed of this decade that won best picture or Wes, you can also guess not i don't know why i excluded that you. one best picture or that one him mm-hmm. score that one that one well actually he's done two other best picture winners this decade yeah it was i mean we've talked about them it was argo and king speech right 
Yep. Yeah. Good. All right. Just, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I think this is actually a good transition. What do you guys think of the music influence of the movie in the sense of like, there's the, of course, the musical set piece. There's the constant um, connections and references to classic Hollywood musicals, dance numbers. What, what, what do we think about that? I really feel like it um, helped capture at a lot of points a, a sort of like classical Hollywood style. Like our, the whole musical number, like to me, it felt like something out of a, I don't know, like a Howard Hawks movie or something, like a mm -hmm. Singing in the Rain or Casablanca, which I really felt. Because I think what I like about this movie so much is it feels like so many things at one time. And any other director could have screwed it up and made it feel kind of, like, disjointed. Like, I didn't know what to do. But I think he really knew what to do and, like, what he was going for. And he kind of showcased that really well. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think he's really, in, he's really intact or... Um, He's very aware and very locked into the tones he's trying to have at each moment. And I think that works really well. I know, and I understand why people might be turned off by it, but I think, um, like, to compare it to another, like, Oscar movie is, like, I like Jojo Rabbit. I just don't, I think that the tones, the, the two tones of harsh, you know, drama and, uh, and like satirical comedy don't work all don't uh mesh all the way personally but i think with shape of water though i feel it's so much more fluid and intentional and it works for each scene in the sense of the tone the previous tones of whether it be whimsical um drama or um comedic comedic beats and other scenes i think it influences and transitions to like more of the dramatic horror um uh tense thriller aspects much more fluent uh, much more fluidly yeah he does a really good start he gives guillermo does a really good job of straying away from sentimentality with the uh influences of classical musicals and he could just be like oh the movie sh about it but he he just very subtly lays it on like an extra layer to it and yeah, like Wes is saying, it 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 balances a lot of plates and doesn't have them all crashed down. So, at least that's what I gathered from this first watch. It might have been like, oh yeah, he's too in love with cinema in the first time. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, speaking of first times, how did we all come to seeing it for the first time? Um, I saw it at a, it was opening night. The, it was there was only one showing at like ten twenty. Were you at the Venice Film Festival? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish. It was at I like mean, a. You're the director, so you kind of had to. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Did you miss it? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was like this kind of dirty AMC, um, and I was kind of awkward because it was me and one other guy. In that whole showing. So I was like. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like. I'm having this like. Bonding moment with a. Total stranger. 
was like, that was, that is, yeah. That was me and my screen and call me by your name. There was only like one other person with uh, you? Yeah. Really? Huh. But it was like a stranger. It's not like I brought my best friend uh, or something. <laughs> um, I saw this like most, a lot of Oscar movies that I watched in theater was, was in uh, January, um, either, I'm pretty sure after the nominations came out or maybe right before, but knowing that this was a big contender, um, it's still in theaters. It was released, I want to say, around Christmas, right? Was It re- It was released in wide in December, right? Or am I making that up? That sounds about right. Yeah, either um, December or January. Yeah, and so when I and so yeah, I saw it in theaters, just loved it, was super happy it won Best Picture. Um, I mean, it wasn't my favorite movie of that year, and it still isn't. But I was, I just was one of the people who were like, yeah, that if that wins Best Picture, cool. That's I'm totally fine with that. I just really dug it in theaters. What about you? Jeff? I mean, there wasn't. Yeah, I already told my story. You, you, wait, did you see it in theaters? Yeah. Okay. I worked at the theater. Oh, yeah, that's right. Great. I, I yeah, now I can I correct myself. No, I don't listen to you either. Um, that's fair. Yeah, and I think it goes to show how great this year was with the lineup, where I wouldn't be upset if any of them won, maybe except for Darkest Hour. Uh, yeah, I, Darkest, Hour, Darkest Hour would be such a lazy fucking pick. Um, even though yeah, I like it's that. also... Not that good. So. Oh, you know what? Well, you know, don't, don't interrupt me while I'm interrupting you, okay? That's that's what I got to say to you. Oh, he's quoting the movie. Oh, man. This is... <laughs> this is inc- um, the Post was also nominated that year. I actually would be mad if The Post won. I remember Spielberg was, like, in talk to get nominated, but it's, like, too crowded. Yeah, and it's such a... It's just kind of like a... Did he yeah, get off the war horse? No, he's... Um, I wonder. Maybe, but that was kind of a weak year. Yeah. Wasn't yeah, crazy. So, yeah, I, I'm not either. I, I'm not a big fan of that movie. Although um, it is pretty cool to see Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks on screen together. Yeah. Cool. Scenes are pretty electric. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, again, Stuhlbarg. We got the post. Yeah. Um, sh- and a Mr. Show. And a Mr. Show reunion with. Odenkirk and Dave Cross. He was on Mr. Show. I know, I've never watched it. I just I mean, both that. of them are, yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's the show. Two of them. Wow. And now they're in the post. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, That'd be funny if Bob Odenkirk was in the post and he just played Saul Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very weird. <laughs> Imagine, like, you just forgot to change characters. I wouldn't be upset about that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be upset about that either. He's um. So, what do we think of Stuhlbart? I mean, I love him. Yeah, he's great. He's, he's great in this movie. He offers a vulnerability and tenderness to movies that need them. I think. Um, I mean, this one in particular, I don't remember how big of a role he had in the post. Do you guys? No, I think, it was, I, I think it was. One. No. It wasn't minor, but it wasn't big. I don't remember anything about it, honestly. 
Um, but yeah, this one he offers something that was much needed, even though I, I'm not that big into that subplot. I think he he really nails what GDT is going for and what he brings to that character and coming by your name especially is just so effortless. Yeah. Yeah, he just has the best eyes in the business. I love, I just like the most puppy dog eyes ever. Just him just looking at people and just like, oh, he's so cute. Him and Greg. Just, can oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I love Stuart I think he's just a consistent, great character actor, whether it be in Fargo season three or um, Arrival. Or Water, by your name, Arrival. Yeah, it's weird. He's always in Arrival and he like plays, he's, that's the. He doesn't play dick too often, but he is a dick in Arrival. Mm. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Stuhlbarg, Wes? Um, I think... My... As a person, not an actor. You've met him, right? Oh. <laughs> well, as a person, he's... You know. Uh, but no. Uh, you Have you guys seen A Serious Man? Oh, I love A Serious Man. I yeah. think... I think about... I, I'll just it's like, like top. It's like Top Shelf. For yeah me. i'll just like be going about my day and like i'll think about his performance in that movie like just yeah. random because it, it's, it's so effective the parking lot larry the parking lot larry <laughs> perspective just like yeah, oh, I, the movie i'm not the biggest yeah. fan of that movie but i mean he's just incredible in it like it was mm-hmm. like the Cohen's were like mm, let's make a movie and build it completely around michael Stuhlbart. i can totally that's just, see that. that and that's I feel like he was born on this earth to be in a Coen Brothers movie. (laughs) Honestly, Or or maybe the Coen Brothers were put on this earth to make a Michael Stuhlbarg movie. I love it. Yeah, I'm here for either one. Um, Just like Billy Bob Thornton was put on this earth to be in a Coen Brothers movie. No, like just some people have the face they're looking for. Has he been in anything else besides the man from... I mean, like the the first season of Fargo, but that doesn't really... You know, I kind of want to see him go crazy. Just in the movie. <laughs> I want to see fucking Psycho Michael. Oh, I thought you were talking about Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, oh. no, we already got that in Fargo. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty messed up in Fargo. But yeah, Michael crazy. Like, what about Michael Stuhlbarg as a villain? I'm curious about that because he just he's such an empathetic actor in a sense, and he's just so like he's just. The opposite of intimidating. We brought up Marshalla to work with the Safdie brothers last week, and um, Michael Stuhlbarg could, could work oh, with the Safdies. <laughs> see him be unhinged like, oh, with that chaotic world they assemble. Yeah. Make that happen. Oh, I love that call. Get him involved with the new Nathan Fielder show. <laughs> God. I can't believe that's happening. I like. I dreamt that. I was so giddy. <laughs> that headline looked fake, like, honestly. Nathan Fielder and the Safties have such different energies, too. It's, <laughs> it's weird to see them in a room together. Like corkboard and post-it notes on a writer's room. Um, do you guys want to know one mind-blowing... I don't really have the transition to this. Uh, do you guys want to know one mind-blowing fact about this movie winning Best Picture? What? Is it the only only one with a fishman? Or does that, like is that, the apartment? That, true? that had to be. That has to be true. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, 
this is the oh, last wait, no, I think I think actually now that I'm thinking about it um I'm pretty sure Chariots of Fire had a fishman involved and I think I think that's the other one <laughs> Oh yeah, I love that part in Chariots of Fire. <laughs> I tried to I tried to pull up like a like a nothing. Yeah, I was saying like, her, like like something that has no relevance now in our lives. I mean, you could have you, you could have just picked Green Book and it would I, have been yeah funny. yeah that's true yeah, but something um, that was like where, how did you go there? Yeah, how do yeah? That's I think you succeeded. Yeah. What about do you think, wait? Crash must have had a fish. Crash, right? yes, yeah, exactly. A beautiful <laughs> mind, yeah. Um, no, uh, this is the last Fox movie to. That will ever win a Best Picture. Wow, that's yeah. depressing. When I it's saw depressing. the Fox Searchlight logo, it looked like from another era because the French Dispatch trailer just came out, and the just Searchlight looks so naked. I hate it. <laughs> it's yeah, that's that's insane. This there is no there will never be another Fox Best Picture winner. Yeah, ever. That and, and I find like I, I think about that and I'm like, what a weird world we live in. And you can take that a step further and be like, Ford v Ferrari is going to be the last nominee. Mhm. Yep. Which is a weird movie to end on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like it makes sense, but it's just like out of like in 2020, yeah, like Ford v Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I just I saw that. Yeah. Like I said, like I saw that um logo and I'm like, holy fuck. There's no more. There's no more Fox Searchlight. That's just gone. I mean, it's, it's technically not gone, but Fox Searchlight, as it's known, is gone. Um, what do we think of Michael Shannon in this movie? I'm always thinking of Michael Shannon. <laughs> I, I, I am too. I am yes. too, Wes. I, can't, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. He's probably the most divisive, besides maybe the Cold War subplot, he's probably the most divisive thing about <clears throat> this movie. Interesting. In I, have, I have another character that I'm not that fond of you're about to say richard jenkins i'm gonna hurt you no why would i do that i don't know no. it's octavia you, bad, you, you do bad take yeah i see that right. but uh well but okay. we'll get there michael, we'll get there yeah we'll get there. michael shannon um i love I, I put this in my notes i love me some soggy shannon cool. i'm just drenched in water you know soggy and dre- like i, I I'm, I'm a big fan just either movie filmed he's in, or, he wants or not to be soaked. filmed yeah Oh yeah, I, I just want soaked Shannon for the rest of my life. He's just Michael a good Shannon could have totally played uh, um, Defoe's part in the lighthouse. Good call. That's a good call. Wow. But I mean, like Defoe and Winslow are like, are, um, yeah, that's 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 his name. Um, like they're inseparable to the actor and character, but. Like I still think he would rock in a Robert Eggers film. Who's Winslow? Oh, is Winslow Pattinson or is? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I, oh, yeah. I can't. I can't remember. It's a fifty-fifty shot. But yeah, no, he's great in this. Yeah. Or at least like he's good in it. I remember thinking my first time I saw this, I was like, man, this character's kind of one-dimensional. But then I saw more layers to him, and yeah, no, I enjoyed it. What do you think, Wes? What do you think of some that Shan Shan? I think I think it, when Michael Shannon plays a villain like this, it's just I cannot take it seriously, no matter mm. how hard I try, and I try really really hard. But like he's kind of brutal in this movie. 
he's actually like really scary. Kinda. I and think uh, Shannon is scary no matter what. Like he he's yeah. a little bit like I just wow I just brought Defoe and he's a little his features are. I mean that's kind of not unsettling but they're un uh, like you just don't see someone okay how about this. <laughs> No one else looks like Michael Shannon in the no. entire world. That's true. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. No one else will look like Willem Dafoe in the entire galaxy. You know what I'm saying? So um, in I'm, that regard, I think they can use their features to um, to bring idiosyncrasies to their characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and during this movie, I don't know why, but I was just thinking of like, could Michael Shannon ever flirt and not be terrifying? You know what I mean? Like, could he ever just like, you know, like give like just, you know, be a little flirty, um, like at dinner or something without people just being so uncomfortable, like just like complete like this. I don't like any of this. No, no flirting, Shannon. None of it. You know who you know who we'd work well with is Werner Herzog. I feel like those two would. Yes. See, that's that's it. I like it. Um, I like it a lot. Very similar. Oh, he was in Bad Lieutenant New Orleans. Okay. Never mind. I haven't seen that. That's a pair. Nicolas Cage and Warner Herzog. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I can't wait to cover Take Shelter. That's one of my favorite performances just of the decade. But, like, can Shannon be charming or, like, I don't know like I'm curious like I just want to meet him just so just just to see if like he can show sides to himself where I'm not like I don't want to be around you right now yeah he can't play like a lead to a rom-com yeah, exactly like can he just like speak like can he like charm charm the pants off me can like he be like flirty I don't know like I'm curious I'm looking he, through his oh sorry he does have a charm a bit of charm to him and kind of like a sad boy kind of way in nocturnal animals oh good point yeah yeah i mean he's so like he's so gravitating he's so he's so mesmerizing even if he's playing like the most evil person to ever live like that's that's who he's playing in this movie he is pure evil he wasn't nominated right no i mean no no. they they had too much like they had woody rockwell willem willem uh jenkins and plumber plumber Right, yeah. Maybe he could have swapped out for Plumber. Or no, that would have been um, no, two shape of been, water, two, three billboards. That would have been weird. And a lonely Defoe. Yeah, that, that would have been wildly uneven. Um, but I'm yeah, looking, I... Wait, what? You're looking for what? I'm what looking, looking through his decade right now, and he does play a lot of villains you can't deny that he is although you hear this he's very good but i i don't want to say he doesn't have range but i do want to see him in like other modes Um, knives out he's not like a villain he's just a sad piece of shit (laughs) and i won't eat one iota of shit oh remember when he played a clansman in bad boys 2 what Really? Michael Shannon played like a KKK member in Bad Boys. Holy shit! That's right! Remember? <laughs> Holy fuck! Oh my gosh. Wow. That, 
I've seen that movie too. Oh my god, I completely blocked that out of my mind. Wow, that's yeah. I mean, the dude is the dude is just unsettling in every single way. His eyes too, just like mm. yeah. Mm. Have either of you guys seen Revolutionary Road? No. Oh, he wasn't that. Uh, I've seen like parts of it. Have you seen his scenes? No. So he's like, oh God, if I can remember this, he's like the the mentally challenged son of Kathy Bates. Oh and no. No, it's it's not like it dates poorly, but that was his role that kind of broke him out into getting all these roles and working with Jeff Nichols this decade and stuff. And he is extraordinary. Like, you feel like someone being pushed into the spotlight. Because I'm looking at his filmography, and he's worked, like, all throughout the 90s and aughts. But it wasn't until 2008 that Sam Mendes, I guess, took a chance on him and broke him out. And when he's on screen, wow. he really is uh, magnetic. Is he soggy in that movie? Yeah, yes. That takes place a movie that takes place in the suburbs in the anxiety of the 1950s. It's uh, it's pretty wet. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I for some reason like seen like the last third act when he is just soaking in like rain. I'm just I I just couldn't be. I'm just like I'm a big fan of this. I want like more wet to shan, kill- please. I want Michael Shannon to kill me like that. (laughs) (laughs) Names! Ranks! Oh, Oh, yeah, that's brutal. Yelling at me in the pouring trench. Like, how he... um, That brutal violence is, like, again, that's, like, just such a... That tone switches so... um, I wouldn't say rapidly, but sharply. It just goes, it, it's a complete 180 at times. And um, I have this whole take on this movie uh, in the sense of, I think the reason for this tone is it is a, con- in the movie, it's a conflict and like a discussion, not discussion necessarily, but like a introspection of reality versus hope and dreams. So like whether it be the dream that Michael Shannon is successful and, you know, um, you know, he has a nice car everything you know he uh he's respected by everyone you see glimpses of that and then reality comes in and destroys all of that whether it be the actual um uh her living with um the amphibian man um like she gets shot and, like all the like there's this like the, like this build-up and then reality just kind of crashes in and ruins everything i think the that take is can be summed up in the microcosm of the scene with Rachel Jenkins and the waiter in the diner exactly. and they're having this conversation and being friendly with one another. And he, and he tells this black couple to leave his restaurant. And yeah. You kind of see the layers start to shed of this facade. And then he knows it's a facade, but it's like, how, how far will he go to maintain order? I suppose and that is a good segue into Richard Jenkins. Um, and, and a, a revelation I would say. Um, He's great in everything. He's amazing. A very worthy performance. Yeah. It's it's almost I mean, as good as a very worthy uh, nomination. It's it's almost as good as his performance in Step Brothers, and that's that's high bar. Because. No, I, I'm kind of joking, but like, no, he's just an he's just an, an amazing actor. He's great in everything he's been, whether it be like like a s- small role in like killing them softly, or again 
being in a, like a hysterical comedy like Step Brothers or, you know, he just plays, he's just, he plays kind men, but also fresh, frustrated men really well. He reminds me of my grandfather in this, in this movie. And mm-hmm. I was, I was thinking about my grandfather and Richard Jenkins have this like very comforting, like welcome presence. And yeah, I guess he's just like, yeah, I don't know. Mr. Jenkins looks like the therapist you want. What what did you say, Wes? Oh, I said it's just like a heartbreaking role. Like, probably the saddest one out of the entire movie for me. Like, Richard Jenkins in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Kind of reminds me of Charlie Plummer in Beginners. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, because it's no. Actually, that's a great take because it's it's really discussing the like mortality and how you want to live the rest of your life and feeling if you've been really accepted by society and whether like how that influences everything and how that informs the latter stage of your life. Now, Richard Jenkins isn't as old as Plummer, but still, it's more of it's, you, sure? you know grappling with like, ideas. I think well, it's definitely in this mo- in this movie, definitely not. Oh, 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 oh. okay. But like, no, I, I mean Richard Jenkins. No, Richard. What are you talking about? Richard Jenkins is seventy-two. Okay. He is seventy-two years old. Plummer's in his eighties. Yeah, has to be. Mm. He's ninety. Christopher Plummer is ninety. No shit. Wow. Yeah. I, he looks like twenty-five. That's crazy. Oh boy. Um, Do you think when he goes to a bar, he still has to show his ID? (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) Hi, um, Whiskey Neat. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) He still has to use a fake. (laughs) Still has to use a fake ID. Uh, um, yeah, no, Jenkins is great because he also he has a big role to play in the sense of when you know he has to carry like his his entire arc, sure, but he also has to influence a lot of Eliza's arc. He has to. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing with this movie is they have to they have to use. Um, I mean, Sally Hawkins is amazing, but they do have to build a supporting cast around her to really drive home her effect on people because it's again it's a hard thing to communicate that through a character who doesn't speak but it works really well i mean it tells you i mean there's the one scene where you can you like literally instantly get why uh, del toro picked him why they why he casted him is when he has to repeat back what she says Mm. he's just like oh that makes complete sense that's why he hired him i get i completely get it he's He's just a great, and, like, all of his, his love for, like, when they're watching classic TV and, like, um, classic Hollywood is just, him just being, like, so, I don't want to say swooning, but he's just, like, he's just so in love with it, and he's just, it's, I think the movie is, again, it's optimism versus pessimism. It's the optimistic side of human nature and the pessimistic side of human nature, what we do, what we can do, you know, the beauty, the ugliness, it's, it's really, like, it's a very, you know, it's a lot of duality. Um, 
can find that a lot. And I think. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say uh, you can find that a lot in Pan's Labyrinth too. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Where there's like so much fantastical elements to it, and then like those fantastical elements along with like the human plot too. It's like filled with just violence and grime and it's just it's like a, a clash between us and the other world i don't know how to describe it no just... that's exactly i completely agree it's very akin to that i mean i think Guillermo was really interested in how to tell fairy fairy tales in a in a real cruel world yeah is Even that he... marriage of the uh, ordinary and the extraordinary that someone like him can only pull off. I really, I, no one else comes to mind that can do this for me. Yeah, or does it this well? Yeah. Maybe like Nancy Myers. <laughs> I mean, there, Jack Nicholson does hang out with a fish man in, um, uh, I almost said as good as it gets. Why would you say that about Dan Keaton? <laughs> I said hangs out. Um, oh, actually, you know what? No. Um, Keanu Reeves in... Um, I forgot the name of the movie. Something's Gotta Give. Something's Gotta Give. It's such a bad title. Uh, but <laughs> Keanu Reeves in Something Gotta Give is the amphibian man. We all know this. Wait. What did you say before? I think you said as good as it gets. That's James L. Brooks. Yeah, I know. I get those two confused. You did? Yeah. Oh. Okay, how much did I sue you for? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I think Del Toro is. Yeah, but he's he's clearly has um, a vision. Like I think that's something that you can kind of relate with this and um, Parasite. Like Del Toro and Bong Joon Ho both have uh, visions clearly storyboard, and everything is very well thought out, and it feels like every frame is like has been envisioned before they've even stepped on a set oh definitely yeah and they love playing with genre they just yeah. they absolutely love it they love playing with you know dueling tones and um callbacks to well, not callbacks but influences from earlier works and being just such a lover of film but they get to explore things that other movies did well and try to uh, merge them together with completely different tones and different ideas. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think that's a good comparison. Uh, and I, and I, yeah, I dig Del Toro. I think the I think his Hellboy movies are good. Blade Two, fucking slaps. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Pacific Rim, but uh, Devil's Backbone is good. Like I just I'm a big fan of his work, and I cannot wait for his new film with fucking Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Bradley Cooper, The Nightmare Alley. Alley. Yeah, I was just gonna say that looks fucking dope. Any takes on Crimson Peak? I haven't seen it. What do you think of Del Toro, Wes? I haven't seen it either. <laughs> I think from what like I've seen, he's been a really, really a big part of like how I saw movies growing up because i saw pan's labyrinth when i was um 10 years old wow yeah uh because i just thought it was going to be you know a kid's movie mm. and then a guy gets his head smashed in with a <laughs> bottle it's very but then like, I, yeah but then i was like 
Pan's Labyrinth was really one of the first movies where I really got to thinking about, like, is this something that I'm going to be passionate about? And it, it's just, he's just such a, like, an amazing director for so many reasons. I think, again, like he said, like, one of the reasons is because he is able to blend so much. He's probably one of the most imaginative directors yeah, that I was gonna say yeah. ever gonna get and like he gets the best out of everything he like wants out of his actors out of his like sets out yeah. of his cinematography um like even hellboy 2 which isn't regarded as one of his best movies it's still a good movie it's really good and like his again his imagination like you said is just out of this fucking world. I mean, some of the creature designs in Hellboy 2 are fucking wild. And he loves practical effects. And I just, I would love to live in his brain for at least a month. Do you guys know, like, in trailers, when um, when they'll use the, the campaign, like, A New Nightmare from Jordan Peele, or something like that? Um, yeah. I think yeah. the trailer for this was, like, a new imagination from Guillermo del Toro. It was, it was something along those lines. Yeah. So his imagination and creativity is kind of what's being sold. A little bit like Tim Burton in the 90s. I think he's Asterix. a much better Tim Burton than Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. Absolutely, too. yeah. Clay and I are well-versed in Tim Burton now. I don't think well-versed, but... Versed enough. <laughs> We're versed, yeah. Is Del Toro like the least divisive auteur right now? I think Bong Jun Ho. Oh, good point. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Mm. Yeah. Just, yep. it's I don't really... think any director has had a better year ever in the history of movies than Bong Jun Ho has had. Yeah, that's in true. 2019. Yeah. Like, that's what. That's like, what everyone strives for, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a movie in itself honestly yeah this entire year as just a public figure has been i do sincerely hope that sharon Choi gets to make that award season documentary oh yeah that's right i don't know i forget it's weird she's how kidding. she's been a how she's been a character too mm. how a translator has been like oh so lovable this year she makes other translators look like total trash you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we have to say it. <laughs> yeah, we you know we gotta be honest here. You know, I'm, I apologize to the translator community, but y'all need to set the fuck up. Sharon Choi's right here. Y'all are down there. Yeah, I remember um, one of the red carpet moments was like this interviewer uh, for E or something said, "Ask the translator or the cast or whatever." That she, he said, "What is the best part about being famous in America?" And the translator was like, is that the question? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, yeah, this was Bong? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, yeah, I think, you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, yeah, I dig Del Toro. I think I dig his vibe. I dig his mind. I dig his, he's also just a kind man, which mm. I like. Yeah. That's another thing with Bong. I think they just... 
they just seem like good, or they are just good people. Yeah, they're lovable. Yeah. And they lift up. And it's like when you people's work. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were think very, about, they're both very adamant on other people's works, which is mm-hmm. great to see. Yeah, advocates. Um, like when you think Hollywood director, you wouldn't think about someone with the personality of Bong or Guillermo. Like you would think like someone that is like, this is my vision and it will be sought out and I will get the finances and you know what? I can't really think of. Yeah. So. You, know, you think of film direct like these big time film directors as assholes. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like especially with their egos and stuff. But oh, like you know who comes to mind is um, the director, or, or um, the director that's above Justin Thoreau in Mahone Drive. Oh my God! Right? Yeah, like that. Like yes, <laughs> like the caricature, like mold of Hollywood director is yeah. kind of like that guy, and now we. Played the scene. <laughs> so, um, I love how they use again no good transition. I love how they use green in this movie. I mean, that's another like Del Toro flourish is his uh, is color. He love he he loves color and he loves how to use it for um, mood. I mean, even like I don't know. Like I just think I, I like the idea of having this aesthetic that kind of just identifies the movie into itself on this in the sense of it just i don't know you associate a movie with a color which i think is cool i think it's i don't think a lot of films do that where like if i think of shape of water i think of green because it's just so heavily featured in this movie um yeah i i i'm i don't know i just really dig the um aesthetic um well, wait, uh, so, um, what, what do you think of the aesthetic, Wes? The whole, yeah, I was, because, like, blue and green play a huge kind of role in the movie. Um, I, I just love that whole, like, kind of steampunk kind of production design. I love the, mm-hmm. uh, like, the, the lab and everything. Like, the lab feels so completely realized mm-hmm. like i i really i really just love it when a director just goes out of his way to actually make what we are seeing believable like out of practical effects or i just love the practical effects in this movie <laughs> it's just so good yeah i mean any other movie, any other director would have the Amphibian Man completely CGI. Yeah. Literally, like, there's no... Other, I can't think of a single director who wouldn't take that opportunity. A studio would have told them completely CGI. Uh, but Del Toro is just so non, not interested in that. Yeah, because he, he actually has, like, a, a vision. Like, he wants us to really get... It's just more immersive that way, too. Like, when everything is practical and everything is just kind of... This feels like the movie has its own, like, heartbeat. Instead mm-hmm. of being, like... Just everything exists in, like, this vacuum or a green screen room. And it's, like... It's nice. It's just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. But, like, um, after all the 
the blockbusters like freaking Doolittle. By oh boy. Like, compare that to this, and it's just like you can easily tell when something is visionary and when something is not. Yeah, I completely agree. And, it, and he's also been doing that for his entire career. I mean, look at Pan's Labyrinth and the creature effects and like the costumes and like it's crazy and and that's also goes with his work with doug jones which has been a big part of his movies for a while um and i i love doug jones i mean he is so underrated in those hellboy movies um and he's just such a also people don't understand how good of an actor he is to pull off that physicality in all of his roles even when he doesn't even like fucking speak and how hard it is to manage those costumes and that makeup i think like mm-hmm. and I think, um, I think it really helps um, with everything Del Toro is trying to accomplish. And I think he's also such a collaborative filmmaker in the sense of because a lot of people have to, a lot of people have to be on the same page to make those special, those effects work because those those take, those take a lot of hands, those take a lot of hours, and if they're not on the same page, it's just gonna fall flat. Is Doug just the person that Guillermo calls? when he has a new project or does he like work with other people? I mean, I think uh, it depends on the movie, but I mean, they've worked a lot. Cause I haven't seen him in, in like, I don't know anyone else. Anyone else's movies. He's actually in a lot of stuff, but he's not, but he doesn't have a big role. He just plays like a lot of these, like if you need a very tall guy to be, like weird and menacing or in a suit boom he's your guy you got him yeah (laughs) yeah it's like i just saw well not just saw but i saw dr sleep recently and the fireman from twin peaks the return was in it and i didn't think he would have any any other role than the return (laughs) it's very weird to see (laughs) that kind of face and anything else but um yeah Yep, I love know. Doug Jones. I just I love him. Um, have I we think... talked about Sally Hawkins? Um, no, we have not. We have not. She is fantastic. Yeah. She should have beaten Francis. That's Ooh. my take. That's my take. Oh. I know. I I just Ooh, I think <laughs> if if the fucking guy from okay, right, I'm gonna try to say this right. If um, the actor from the artist wins best actor, she should win for this. John she's Giro basically then. playing. Yeah, she's basically playing a silent. She's having yeah. She's like she's like in a silent movie. What she's being asked to do. She's supposed to give, you know, like really like descriptive and um, expressive. Facial express, expressive facial expressions, um, but in a way that's not over the top that meshes with the movie itself because everyone else is not in the silent movie, mm-hmm. and so she has to manage. She has to be, she has to be nuanced in how she shows emotion, but also be enough, or be, um, but have enough of a enough of a draw to notice it because she doesn't have the advantage of actually using her voice. Mm. Um, and it, she just feels so natural. She feels so, she feels like an actual person. She feel, you know, she feels, 
I don't know. I, I just love the way she controls each, or not controls, but how she's a part of each scene and how she interacts with every single character. And since she's acting opposite people like Richard Jenkins and Michael Shannon, it can be really tough to have that kind of sparring partner when you're lost of, of an ability to trade dialogue. So it's her, Francis, Saoirse, Margot Robbie. Is that four or five? I feel like I'm missing someone. Meryl. Mer- oh, yeah. Meryl. Who? <laughs> Sorry. I know I use that too much, but it's Meryl Streep. Um, it is Meryl Streep. I think my my pick is... It's. I mean, I can't not pick Saoirse. That's fair. I, I, I really I, I have a tough time not... Um, you know, I feel like that she is going to pull Meryl Streep and have, like, several other nominations and she'll win um when she's like 30 <laughs> yeah well um i mean I, like she's 25 right now yeah so i think makes i would have kept makes me the, feel lazy <laughs> yeah i think i would have kept the francis win honestly she was so good in that She's great in that movie. I, I can't argue. I, I can't argue with that. I mean, it's a, again, it's just a, a good nominations. And not to put down Margot, honestly. Yeah, she's good in that too. She's a good. She's also a good actress. Um, Wes, what's your take on Itania? That was a good movie. It's pretty good. I need to I, watch it again. I liked it. Sebastian Stan. And that mustache did not work. We stand. <laughs> we got Paul Walter Hauser. <laughs> I think I should have. We all should have bought a lot of stock in Paul Walter Hauser when we saw him in that one. Um, he was the goon. He's, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he's great in that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Sally Hawkins is great. I think it's a hard performance to do. It's even harder to act opposite. She has to convince the fucking audience that she loves a fish person. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that. Like it's hard to ask an actress. You have to, you have to look like you really want to fuck that fish. You, you know, you, you gotta like, you gotta make the googly eyes. You gotta just yeah, be like. Yeah, and I think um, Sally Hawkins in this movie is not where my my criticism comes in. I just think this movie just straight up like doesn't gel with me. Um, I can't really criticize it objectively because del toro is clearly doing a lot right technically but you just can't get on its way i just can't get up i can't get on it i'm sorry i just like i i get it but i don't get it but you're not a big fan of del toro in general i haven't no (laughs) yeah because you you didn't love pan's labyrinth i wanted to (laughs) like i really want to love i've only seen this pan's and Rim. And I want to love all three, but I just... There's a Which barrier. Pants. Not what, Pan with uh, Hugh Jackman. Pants Labyrinth. Just to clear confusion. I don't think anyone has mentioned Pan in five years. Does he sing Nirvana? We could cover it if you want. <laughs> I... <laughs> Wes, do you want to come on for a pan episode? (laughs) Hey, man, I'm down. 
where <laughs> Rooney Mara plays a ra- racially insensitive character. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I um I think this is real good. I just don't feel like I'm swept up in that yearning romance between the fishman and really? Liza. Oh. Um yeah, I just I just yeah, man, I I no. <laughs> what keeps you? What what's that what's that barrier that can you identify or is it just something that's just is it like the overall earnestness of it? Is it the dueling tones? What what's what blocks you from it? I think it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, and I think it's just a fish man. Oh, that's a horrible take. But um, that's not to say like it's poorly done. It's just it's just me. Like it's like I'm not I'm not gonna criticize him for trying it or that it's you know. But. I would marry that fish man in a heartbeat. He's just, he's such a, he's just so nice. He just wants to be loved. He's so lonely. I can identify. Like, I get it's a metaphor, or at least it could be read as a metaphor. Um, I think he's just a cool guy. Yeah. um, Oh, and wait, did we talk about Octavia? Huh? Uh, I was curious what Wes thought of the fish man. (sighs) That's a good question. (laughs) <laughs> like as a design it's probably one of the more visually impressive things about 2017 it's just I, it's a fish and i'm sorry i need i need more time to accept oh that. yeah I did, yeah i know it's i i i think it's quite the features on him too the details and this, it feels so real in a weird way. Um, his eyes, I think, were kind of obviously CGI um, with, like, the blinking and kind of, like, how they look. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, everything else feels so, I don't know, it feels real and it, it's impressive. Like, I'm just impressed when I see him on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I yeah. actually think... He's kind of a character. I like. I, I don't think it's like it's a metaphor. I think he's actually like he has. You know, I, I don't know, man. Like, I just I I'm I'm just so charmed by him in in, in their romance. I'm just so charmed by his interactions and how he just how he is as a character. I don't know. I mean, it's I, yeah. I, I mean, it's it is very engaging and it does challenge you as a viewer to kind of just accept that. And I think that that's what I like about, one of the things I like about the movie is that it is challenging to the average audience member who may not in their free time watch a woman be intimate with a walking fish. So I respect it on that regard. Yeah. It's so weird that this one best picture. <laughs> uh, it's such a, it's such a, oh, man. But I mean, you can't help but kind of love it. Like, I do feel like, like um, twenty years ago, we could, we should be talking about Darkest Hour. <laughs> oh yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they, they would totally they would have given this to Darkest Dark, Darkest Hour. They really they it would it would have been so easy for them to do it too, especially like next year they give it to fucking Green Book. Like they just for some but for some reason they had the the wherewithal not to, and I applaud that. Yeah. So, um, someone that Clay and I admired, Demi Aljuibe, he has this extensive review. He's he's actually pretty extensive with his many of his reviews, but it's mm-hmm. on Letterboxd, and he's like detailing what didn't work for him about a lot of this, and I I agree with it. He's like basically just to sum sum it up, he thinks that the the romance is is a bit rushed. And the um, mm. connection of trying to understand one person that is an outcast to another is good and fine, but it just feels thin in that regard. So, mm. I disagree because I just think both characters, I think they really get across how both characters are so lonely and that they're just so, they're like, they're just, they just need someone to feel connected to even if it's a little bit but also i mean it is i think a little fantastical like there is these like i've I've always wondered if maybe she was always from the ocean or whatever in a sense of like because i I know that's weird but like her three scars who which um on her neck which turn into gills at the end and how the story is that she was she was you know she was found by the sea mute because she was an orphan those kind of little plot hints I've always found that there was this kind of otherworldly connection they had that was maybe not, that was more than just um, her just like stumbling onto him. Yeah. Um, I think, now that I think about it, everybody in this movie is lonely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like very lonely. Everyone feels disconnected. Everyone feels like they're not a part, they're not on the wavelength of others. Like, Shannon doesn't really like his family. Stubar doesn't agree. Doesn't feel like he's, you know, anyone's listening to him. That everyone is just focused on cruelty and competition. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenkins feels he's been kind of outcasted from society and not loved or accepted. Um, Hawkins feels similar, but also just feels like she doesn't. She's not viewed as a real p- person. Have we talked about Octavia Spencer? I was just going to get to that. I was going to yeah. transition. Yeah. Like how she also feels lonely because she, her husband is mm. bad. Wait, really? I don't know. Well, yeah, uh, I, I think I think that is a criticism that I also have. Um, she's kind of nothing. I mean, she, was she wasn't she nominated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of horseshit. I mean, like, low-key, I, I don't like this this character i mean i i think octavia spencer is fine and what i've seen her in it, it's just this character is is like it does nothing for this movie but i'm trying to discuss, discuss. there's too much brewster talk <laughs> there's too much of it there's too much brewster talk i don't i don't i i kind of agree with you i think she's actually good in this movie i think that mm. she actually tries to give like some more personality into her interactions with Eliza and it feels, I don't know. It, I like their friendship, but everything else concerning her character, I'm not a big fan of. 
I don't. I yeah. I think she. They talk about their his her husband constantly, and I'm just like I don't care. I think I would be more lenient if this wasn't nominated. Can you wait? Can you actually? It was Janie who won, but and she was there. Laurie Metcalf, Mary J. Blige from Unbound, Leslie Man and Leslie Manfield, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread. Yeah. What a rock star performance. Um, yes. Yeah, no. I think I, about Octavia, Wes. Well, before I get into that, does does this movie pass the Bechdel test? I was thinking about that, too. I, w- I actually was watching I was watching the movie. I'm like, hmm. I mean, so, I think there probably is one scene where they don't talk. Of, I don't know, because if, if, if they're not talking about her husband, they're talking about how men can't um, can't aim. With the dicks peeing, and they and they're bad at pooping too. Like I don't know. Like, it, like it. There was there was these. Yeah, I don't know. I, also, like they're talking about security, or they're talking about Michael Shannon. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think it passes the Bechtel. Oh, and I have a resource. I'm gonna look up. I. Uh, oh, it does pass it. Yeah, I was just gonna say because there was that one time that. Uh, Octavia Spencer tries to stop Eliza from taking away the fishman, and I think that's technically I guess passing the test. But like, do you? I guess it's like, do you count the fishman as? Oh, true. Male? Like, are they talking about another man or are they talking about a fish? Hmm. Mm. But I was wondering the same thing too. What about that third woman that works there? She's like. Is there any scene between her and Eliza or Zelda, or is there? No. But you said it does pass the rate, so. Yeah, there's probably there's probably one com- like they do talk, they do have a lot of interactions. So there's probably like there's there's probably like one scene where they just don't really men- mention men. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, what do you think of her performance and her character storyline? I always enjoy. Octavia Spencer. I wasn't crazy about her storyline. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. The wildest about, but like Octavia will always, I think, give the best with what she's given, and yes, that includes Ma, which is another episode. Yeah, that's. I, if I start talking about Ma, I won't stop. So <laughs> We're just, I, we gotta shut this shit down. Yeah, uh, but which no, has Octavia. had a renaissance or <laughs> Renama or something. Um, no, she's uh, she's gives a good performance. I think. Uh-huh. I she's think too. Like, I, yeah. She's always very like even when she's being nice, she's very like has a very commanding presence. She's commanding, and she kind of has like she has a layer of fear. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a very impressive like quality for an actor to have like it's this is gonna sound random but like daniel day lewis also kind of has that quality i know i know it's kind of weird comparison but no it's Mm. um daniel day lewis also kind of even when he's like calm like even his calmest moments in like phantom thread there was still that kind of undercurrent of you will respect this performance. 
Yeah, even when he's really going for it as Daniel Plainview, you can you can tell that. I mean, in my theory, I think that he's never lost his love for his son. Yeah. So it's like he has that added um, quality of humanity still in him. Mm -hmm. I also think Octavia Spencer is still going to make the best of a bad movie. Like, she's the best part of Loose. Loose. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, easily. Um, Yeah, I mean, she always... The thing about... the One of the big... um, reasons why I like Octavia Spencer is because she, it, she, she always makes her roles fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like she used, like, I think she really is able to make any line of dialogue fun and engaging, which I, I mean, a lot of actors do that, but I think, I don't know. I, she has a special energy to her that I think is uh, mm-hmm. just fun to watch. Um, but it is interesting how much the Academy loves her and how mm-hmm. mu- and how they loved her almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Cause she has gotten three Oscar nominations and one win. She won for the help and she was nominated for um, hidden figures and shape of water figures. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Girls night. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. I thought of hidden figures. Art house. Yeah. <laughs> but no, all no. me, girls night had, um, Sorry, no. we're just going to talk about Girls' Night for now. <laughs> but I want to see that movie. I haven't seen it. Girls Every episode we do is going to be Girls' Night. Girls' Night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are That's connections right? you can make between the two if you really try. Between Girls' Night and this. Mm-hmm, the Girls' Night and Shape of Water. <laughs> Crosby B. Hansen is the fish man of that movie. Guillermo del, Tor- Guillermo del Toro's fish night. No, not Crosby B. Hansen. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Tiffany Haddish? Uh, Tiffany Haddish. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, boy. All right. Um, oh, what was I going to Yeah, no, I meant girls' night as, like, hidden figures is like a girls' night. We get it. We get it. We yeah. get it. But I just did. I just. I didn't want you don't to. Make need to it you don't need to explain. Thrown out like I was referencing the Tiffany Haddish movie. I feel um, like Guillermo and uh, Regina Hall would be a really good kind of match. Ooh. I I, I love Regina Hall. How can I you not? Regina. She's great. She's, She's a great actress. It didn't. Isn't it true that I like um, support the girls more than you, though? Me? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you do. Yeah, but she's great in it. No, I'm just, I'm just for the record. I feel like you're calling me out. Well, no, I know. I don't record, appreciate that. Um, I'll save it for the support the girls episode. Oh, no, I will uh, legitimately yeah. defend her performance in the scary movies. <laughs> I haven't seen those in a long time, but I remember her being good at them, so I don't... What about Regina Hall and Ari Aster? Holy shit. That'd be I don't know. Right? I mean, Ari Aster does need something, some diversity in his films, so that makes sense. I feel like Ari Aster would do something fucked up to her, and I want him to stay away from her. 
Yeah. But also, I feel like if she led an Ari Aster movie, she would give like a career defining decade best performance. Oh, yeah. And I w- we would be, like, stomping at the Dolby to give her a nomination. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's pros and cons. I mean, the next one he's doing is, like, a melodrama, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, I can see Regina doing that. And he's, he's talked about Douglas Sirk, like, influencing um, Midsummer. So I think he's yeah. veering in that direction even more. Because yeah. all that heaven allows, I saw that yeah. has a little bit of um, midsummer to it. Yeah, I would I would um, like him to pair uh, Tony Collette and Florence Pugh. Imagine that. Worlds colliding. Yeah. As so as uh, Danny and Anne. Oh yeah. They they just stay in character. <laughs> I was like Tony Collette has her head, doesn't have her head anymore. She's just walk she's just walking around. Yeah. We can work with it. <laughs> She's a great actress. She'll make it work. <laughs> no, for no, the longest no time, problem. I was thinking, like, what, I was thinking, what if Ari just made, like, a stealth trilogy with Midsummer and Hereditary? Like, because I could see Peter and Danny, like, kind of teaming up. Like, what, a Peter and Danny team-up movie? I was like... That'd hmm, be awesome. That would actually be really cool. I wonder what they would do. <laughs> Could it be like um? I was it it's it would be like uh, Unbreakable and Split and then then he makes a glass. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, but it's like in twenty years from now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could it be like Doctor Sleep and they're just like coping with their trauma? Or like maybe it's the reverse Doctor Sleep where like we just see them get worse. <laughs> I could see them like doing a take over the world type thing. <laughs> I just, I just want, I just want a whole movie of Tony Collette with no head, for like, like just headless. I, I think that would be great. No, but we need, we need her head to act. I don't know. I feel like she can pull it off. I think having Tony Collette's head is kind of important for a Tony Collette performance. But hey, you never know. <laughs> uh, I just, it's so crazy how that movie ends. Um. Yeah. So one of my favorite theater experiences. Ever. <laughs> oh, Jack, man, are you alright? Just imagine broke. Just <laughs> acting opposite Florence. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we got you. Um... <laughs> <laughs> we broke Jack. I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how I'm supposed to transition from this. No one likes Baltimore. That is actually true. I, I as someone who lived in the Northern Virginia area, when they said when Michael Shannon says no one likes Baltimore, that's just a hundred percent true. I'm sorry for all you. I'm sorry. What if what if uh, Florence Pugh starts her own cult? Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh, Jesus! I was I really was trying here. Folks. All right, all right, all right. No, no, let's transition. I just. Wow, yeah, no one likes Baltimore, and no one likes Jack's jokes. Um, let's move on. Um, <laughs> oh. No, Jack. Uh, um, I would visit Baltimore. I would, honestly. There's just not much, man, I'm telling you. I mean, 
it, it's good to see for like maybe a day, but yeah. I would visit Baltimore, but before watching The Wire. You know, like yeah. I don't know. That's not the best advertisement I've seen. But that's. I mean, that, I mean, I don't love Baltimore, but that's not. That's all. Not all of Baltimore. Um. Yeah. It's a. It, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. No one likes Baltimore. It's just true. It's great. It's great insight by Del Toro. Should have given her an award for it. Um. What else? Uh, cornflakes were meant to prevent masturbation. That's a line in this movie. I was very surprised by that. Um, I, um, I love tap dancing. So when they were tap dancing, I was, I'm a big fan. Oh, yeah. I'm a oh, tap dancing. Well, I think we should bring up the musical number. Yeah. Oh, I think, oh, oh, yeah, I did that before, but we didn't, like, actually talk about it that much. No. Yeah. It's good. I th- it's a great, I think it's it a great fit. Yeah, it fits. There was a lot of discourse around it, like when that movie came out. Like, it's so random; it doesn't make sense. Like, it was completely taken out of it. I'm like, well, you're you're wrong. You're just you're a bad person. You just don't watch movies correctly, apparently. Isn't it Griffin's review on Letterbox where it's like, I couldn't love this movie anymore if they added a musical number, and they did or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I love quoting I think Letterboxd it's, it's reviews. Great. And that's our podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. What do you think, Jack? What do you What do you think of the musical number? No, I yeah, I think I, take about. <laughs> I think it gels. Um, it kind of is almost like uh, dreamlike. Like it doesn't. I mean, I I think that's probably the point. But it yeah, it really does feel like. Uh, we're entering Liza's subconscious, and uh, yeah. this is—it's—it's it's like if she were right. Well, I saw this last night. Um, what was the scene before this? Do you guys remember? She—they were at the dinner table. She was yeah. trying to say like, hey, "You and me were—I mean, I, I can't thank you enough." Or like, no, 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 you don't know how much I love you. I think that's what she was yeah. about to say, mm-hmm. and then. He kind of just looks at a cereal because he's just okay. not focused on it now. I guess if we saw a scene of Liza like sleeping on top of Fishman's chest or something. That's his that. name, right? Fishman? Okay, well, let's just pretend. The credit like, is just, the amphibian man. That would just make sense if we just saw her asleep. And this was a dream, I think. It just works like that. No, they were at a dinner table. And she was like, she was trying to picture a way to communicate her love to him, and so that's what her mind kind of manifested into. Yeah, I'm just uh, saying, like, like if it were that she was yeah, that would make sense. in a way yeah. dream, it would make sense. Yeah, but I think it works either way because I think it's just, I think the thing is like she's she's struggled with communication her entire life. Of course, she has. I mean, that like not speaking is a big part of it, uh, and so I think that. Del Toro illustrates that she has to kind of come up with something in her head. Like she, she just wants to communicate so badly. She doesn't want to feel alone that she kind of wants to think of a way to do it. You know, it, um, like she loves musicals obviously. And I think that that's, um, that's something that she connects to because it's purely like visual and it's in a lot of people say, you know, dancing, um, uh, musicals are like dancing, 
instead of actual dialogue, it still communicates emotion. Uh, you know, it, um, that's the whole point of musicals is another way to communicate emotion, plot, and themes. And so I think that she connects to that, so that it makes sense why she would manifest that in her mind. Do you guys know the origin of this with Del Toro? Like, how he thought of this story? I can look it up. Oh, I, I know it. I can. Oh, cool. I can tell I you. <laughs> um, yeah, so he saw a creature of the Black Lagoon. Right, that's that's it. Why did that sound wrong? And as a kid, he thought the actress in that movie and the creature should get together. Like, it's not like the creature should be... Yes, I mean, yeah, kind of. And it's not like the creature should be attacking the woman, but he saw it as more of a romance, even though that's obviously not the intention. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that's like a horror movie. And... Mm -hmm. So I think this is, I mean, he, what he calls it is a mistake, right? The mistake is that it wasn't a romance and it was something that we should be horrified of and it should scare us. So I think that musical number was important to Del Toro in being like the, uh, the underline in this, this cinematic mistake that he calls it. So wait, is he saying that they shouldn't get together? I'm, I'm confused if you call it a mistake. Yeah, the mistake was that they didn't get together. It was, he was like six when he saw it. Oh, you're, so he's saying that the mistake in the Black Lagoon, not in the movie he actually made. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. I, I do always kind of like that directors were like, oh, I could do that better and then make a movie that's similar to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's fun. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else? I mean, oh, I guess we should talk about what do we think of the Russian Cold War storyline? That's another thing that people don't know how to feel about that. Um, I don't mind it. I like it. More Michael Subarg. I think it, I think it goes with my idea of my, like, my take of the movie is that it's reality versus hope. Pessimism versus optimism. I think it's like the harsh reality invading the fairy tale. Like there's still this conflict. There's still this ugly war going on, even though we want to believe that, you know, a fish man is falling in love with a woman. They're communicating. They're learning to, you know, if they're, um, they don't want it they're, um, they finally connect to someone. Um, but unfortunately there's this, like the, the darkness is still creeping around the corner influencing everything i think it's so I, I, that's why i like it yeah I like what do you it. think Wes? i said i think it fits the setting pretty well um i think it fits it it does kind of click with the whole era that they're going for yeah. that was gonna be my take too i think it really helps the tone in the setting mm-hmm. yeah oh i'm surprised you actually I'm, I've been no, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be a dick. Um, I, I'm surprised because I know you had a muted reaction to it, but it sounds like you were pretty cool with a lot of the elements of it. You just didn't gel with it. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, I, I think it's like fine. I just, I think I'm just kind of bummed that it won, just not not in, with this year. 
you know, like with its slate that it was competing against. It was it's a little bit like 1917 where it's like I'm not bummed if it wins, but just with its competition, it's it just it bums me out a little bit more. And for the record, I do think Phantom Thread should have won. Like this Shape of Water wasn't my favorite of the year. No, it wasn't mine either. Um, but the great thing is that like the best um, the best picture nominees were so strong that um, I had I, like four four or three movies that I wanted more, a little more. But I was cool with either one. I think it was either fans of the Call Me by Your Name for me. I want to get out or Lady Bird, which is fun that we all kind of have different answers. I mean. Dunkirk fucking rocks too. I can't really. I know exactly. Like, kind of, yeah, all I mean, it's too good. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like, not know... one bad movie in these nominations. Okay. I think. Do no you think one... Darkest Hour is that bad? It's you. I think it's more I'm just, mediocre. I'm, I'm just saying that to get a rise out of you. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't even love that movie. I just. <laughs> I am good. Um, yeah, I would have rather. Yeah, I would have rather had Get Out, Labor, Dunkirk, or Phantom Thread. But again, Shape of Water, great movie. I I, I can't complain because those. I like are... how no one is saying three billboards. For a reason. <laughs> For a reason. Yeah, I'm, I liked that when I first watched it, but I just I, I do you know you know like how sometimes like a year has gone past and you think about like yeah that rewatch isn't going to go well, mm, but you yeah. still kind of feel like you're like. Your opinion is still your opinion, but you know it will change after a rewatch in probably a worse worse way. That's There's how a I feel few about things people. this decade that I that I'm like kind of dreading rewatching for this pod, but it's it's not like I'm gonna say no to it. And Three Boards is one of them, or it's like I'm looking forward to rewatching it, but it's not like I'll do it if I have spare time. Yeah, there's just no way it ages well. I gotta be honest. That and here I, and, is legitimately embarrassing. Yeah. And it's like I like McDonough. Like I really think In Bruges is hysterical. I fucking love it. Yeah. And Seven Psychopaths is is like so funny. And um, I'm really looking forward to the reteaming of Gleason and Farrell that just got announced with him. Oh, is that true? That is that is tr- confirmed. Oh, that's that's fucking dope. It's like the Banshees of. It's you know it's got a really. McDonough sounding title. Yeah, I, I but if Get Out won, I would have been fucking elated. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I like all these movies. So, um, yeah, and I like Gamma winning too. I think it was deserved. I think it's an expertly crafted movie. I remember there was more of a lock for Del Toro winning director than Shape winning Big best picture well because mcdonough wasn't nominated so that was a big thing true it's like yes. it was a two-horse race and they're like because a lot of times like let's say mcdonough was nominated recently with the trend that it the trend of splitting picture and director whether it be like green book or or wait wait is farley directed it was farley nominated for director no thank god thank god imagine that but, but like yeah we're like I guess this year was different since Bong actually won, but um, like Roma winning director, um, or no, sorry, uh, 
Chazelle winning director, Moonlight winning picture, um, yeah. and, or, or uh, Revenant winning director, um, Spotlight winning picture. That, that and what this it. race reminds me of, like, Donna losing the uh, the nominations but getting the DGAs um, 2013 when Affleck got the DGA but he lost the nomination and that kind of allowed Ang Lee to swing in for mm. Life of Pi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. Have we rewatched um, Life of Pi or? <laughs> no, I haven't. Right. Yeah, that's another one. I think I mean I don't know if it ages that badly. I just don't know if I'm. It's just a movie that I'm probably a little more apathetic towards. It's just yeah. I, I don't think it ages poorly. It just it's. I I feel like there should be more meat on that bone, but I just kind of like lose interest. A little ways through, I remember. You guys aren't selling that on watching Life of Pi for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I gotta. Sorry. I mean. I mean it's. Pretty. It's a pretty movie. It is very visually interesting. Yeah, a little bit like Gravity, honestly. Well, Gravity fucking slaps. Gravity is a great movie. Um, what do we? Oh, the, now the thing that, about this movie that's always just been—I understand why it's there, but it's always kind of just astounded me in a weird way—is the plot of his fingers. I've always just been like. Oh, I had a good laugh at that. Interesting. <laughs> no, it's funny, but I'm just, it's weird. Like, I don't know. Like, where do you come up with that idea? Like, like Del Toro's just writing the script. I'm like, uh, he's going to lose his fingers now. And it's going to be a, like a plot line. And of course, like the, it's there's symbolism of he's rotting inside and out, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like it just, but it's funny though. Like how, like she puts like fin- two little fingers in a paper bag. What an odd movie. Oh, I did. Actually, I meant to bring that up actually. Um, that reminded me of Blue Velvet. Like in the beginning with the ear. There's a lot of David Lynch in this episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to yeah, say two Lynch like with, Yeah, like I don't know. What, this is just a coincidence, but. Three yeah, Lynch reference, actually, because you mentioned Twin Peaks. And then Mulholland Drive earlier, too. Yeah, I know. That's why I said three. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was. I think that's an absolute. That's absolutely like a visual gag because the beginning with the ear and like the little paper brown bag in the beginning of blue velvet is so iconic. So it's pretty easy to make that trace back to it. I mean, it's also just, it's, you know, again, it's like, Oh, this guy's, you know, black on the inside, black on the outside. He's rotting from, you know, like everything gets worse for him. You know, it's another problem he has. And it's also fucking gross. Like that (laughs) pus that comes out of it. Yuck. Yeah. My, my hotness, the Michael Shannon hotness went down a little bit during that time. It's not what you want. What up for me? That's just me. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, you, know, you already, you, everyone knows my feelings on soggy Shannon. So. Choose your fighter. Um, no fingers, Shannon, or no head, Colette. <laughs> Oh, it's <laughs> fight to the death. Fight to the death. <laughs> oh no, we got him again. Uh, yeah, I I I dig this movie. Um, I don't. I think my only only 
it's not a perfect movie. I think I, I'm like one of the bigger criticisms I have is the whole. I don't know. I don't. I, I couldn't like the amount of times fucking Brewster is talked about. I just like I don't care about Brewster, and I don't. I didn't like, and I don't really. I don't know. I just didn't get it. I don't like. I don't know what you're trying to say here, Guillermo. Like, why you're so obsessed with this husband? Husband being a complete piece of shit. What do we think is the deal with all the candy? Is it just like a character thing? I think it like, might be like a weird character thing. Yeah, like um. What's the blank check thing? Blender? Is it a blender? <laughs> it might be, but it also, but uh, or like, oh, oh no no no! I know another example. Um, that we just brought up. It's uh, Kevin Costner's gum and hidden fingers. I always think about that. Like he's chewing gum in like every scene. Like, it's so funny. It's so useless. <laughs> but I don't think the green candy is as useless because he does have like a monologue about it when he's torturing um Sulbar. He's like, I love these green candies. I love them since I was a kid. I don't eat that frou-frou shit everyone else does. Um, but it is a weird character choice. It, I, get, I guess like you could read it as, since it's a knockoff of a brand, like he is a knockoff of the ideal American man. But even then, it's Damn. it's like a little... It's I, I think it's purpose. Someone has gone to college. Someone has gone to college with that take. I mean, knock off American man. Damn. Listen, mm-hmm. I have my education right there. Harvard degree to prove for it. But oh. it goes along with your take where it's like uh, the uh, fiction and reality. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Um, one thing I do want to highlight. Um, I think Doug Jones deserves an honorary honorary Oscar. I'm being full, fully serious. I think he did, uh, like at he's had a weird career, but he's done such great things with special like um, uh, practical effects and embodying characters that are just not or embodying um, creatures that aren't recognized for like acting or whatever. But he's a great physical actor that should be recognized more. And I think he should get like how I think Andy Serkis should get an honorary Oscar um, like at the end of his career with with what he's done with. Um, motion capture motion capture and the performance he's get, he's given through that i think doug jones deserves the same amount of respect because he works consistently he's always great he does like the he does he does the roles that aren't given enough credit and he always makes the movie better would so you nominate I, doug I, jones I, this year no i mean i love him but no i mean he's great i thought about it once but like i no i mean yeah i, I mean he's great but no uh, 2017 was such a strong year, but uh, but I do think, but and I don't necessarily know if he de- he's ever deserved one singular Oscar for one performance. The body of work and his impact on um, his uh, impact and his skill of uh, these creature effects, whether it be him and Hellboy, the Hellboy movies, I think should be recognized. I think he's just had a great career, and that and he should be appreciated for it. Hallelujah. Well, Doug Jones stand. What can I say? All right. We should probably get into favorite scenes. Um, oh, also, wait, before we do, um, okay. do we remember the presenting of this best picture? What do you mean? Last year, of course, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. 
did not correctly announce the right That's best right. They brought, they brought him back. It, they brought right. him back. That's right. And, oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they're like, well, guys, <laughs> it's us again. <laughs> and um, I think they, I, I mean, Warren Beatty is like one of my favorite actors. And he and Faye Dunaway just were very mature about it, I thought, when I watched it again. And they were, they read off the, what was weird, if you go back and watch the clip, the audio cuts out once they read off all the nominees. And usually there's like that announcing voice, like, call me by your name. Like, it was weird. It was just no audio. And so then they announced The Shape of Water and Guillermo has that now famous gif of him, like, holding up the, holding up the car. Like, it's really me, guys. (laughs) And, um, yeah, he gives a great speech and, um. He's such yeah, a and that was it. And also, I should point out that was our last ceremony with a host. Oh, so, odd, yeah. Wait. And we ended on Jimmy fucking Kimmel. Yeah, so, I was not, kind of like, who was the nice. host? Not great, Bob. <laughs> you know. Wait, did We're he host two years vote. in a row? I think so. yes, yes, he did. Yes. No, we. <laughs> Weird. All right, so uh, what's everyone's favorite scene? Wes, you can go first. I would have to say the musical number. It was amazing. Mm. I kind of want to say the montage. Do you want to take some time to think about it? Because I have mine. Okay, yeah. Um, Mine's the bathroom conversation. Oh, yeah. I think... (laughs) Yeah. Coming in with the nightstick, um, and it's and, and the fact that Michael shit puts his hips, his hands on his hips when he's pissing. <laughs> it's just a really good character thing. It it shows yeah. like a lot of authority, but it's I don't know. Um, really good stuff. Good shit by him. And um, I think it just yeah. There's a lot of really organic tension in that scene. I genuinely think it's very well done. I'm having I'm having the hardest time. And also, really I think that scene is um, influenced by the recent um, nervousness in the whole Me Too thing because of this like domineering male figure in oh, the man. the business and two women kind of like lower than him, much lower. So it's I mean they have know, a just scene, like, he has a weird infatuation with her. Like they well, have yeah, a- I mean. It just feels different in a bathroom. True. And you're like, yeah, he says, like, do you squeal? And I'm like, what the fuck yes, is that? Yes. Or squawk. Yes. Jesus. Yes, yes. What a piece of shit. I, and I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but uh, he's no good. He's a bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having a really hard time picking a scene. I got to be honest. Um, I, I might just go with... I might just go for the montage of like her going in day in and day out, letting him listen to music, having my, like that's building up the connection. I mean, it's the montage of building a relationship is used a lot, but this time it has a fish man. And I think that's pretty cool. And the spot, I mean, I can't rave enough about the spot score. I really think this movie is just not this movie without it. It's just, it's something completely different. Um, and it, it just dictates the tone so well. So yeah, the montage, the first real montage of her going day in, day out, giving him those good old eggs. Um, and I, I, one more thing I just want to say in my notes, I said, 
fish um, fish sex equals best sex. That's what I want to say. <laughs> fish sex equals best sex. Say louder for the people in the back. I know. I just I gotta. I think I, I think I gotta be real. Um, oh, I do love the line when Jenkins is going on about if he's a god, if he's a god or not, and he says, "I don't know if he's a god. He did eat a cat." <laughs> I think that was really funny. <laughs> Um, cool. Uh, Wes, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, as always. I had a great delight. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, do you have anything to plug? Social media? Um, Have you made any short films by the last time we saw you? That was a big, it was a big deal. Oh, big deal. Yeah. Um, (laughs) no, I've been gathering my equipment, getting like a kind of a crew ready, which, you know, I've never done before. So it's, all very new to me, but I That's should. That's awesome. Probably, yeah, I should probably start shooting something this spring, beginning of summer. So I'm excited. Yeah, and at least you'll know who you are. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> keep that trusty hat on me. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, am I supposed to act in this? <laughs> We Just look exp- at the hat, like, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. We should explain, this is audio. I thought it was the lighting guy. So, <laughs> Wes owns a hat that says director on it, and that's what we're talking about, so. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Jack, where can everyone find you? Oh, I am Jack A. Draper on Twitter, and my writing can be found on the Simple Cinephile. Um, everyone can I find... just wrote about Ari Aster, so that's funny that we tied this all in. Oh yeah, but, but you, you published two recent articles, right? Yes, yeah, I wrote for Cinema, etc. as well. Um, cool, yeah. Well, you could tell me what, what are the articles that you wrote about. You can plug yourself a little more. And for them, I did a piece about After Hours and Something Wild. About cool. 80s New York, yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People check that out. Um, everyone can follow me at Clayfilm100 on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at ETTPod. Please rate, review, subscribe. You can show, uh, show some support on Anchor. Leave a voicemail if you want to make a comment, question. Um, we Next week, we have... Roma. <laughs> Uh, I wish. The one that we've been dreading ever since we agreed to do this miniseries, Green Book, with a special friend of mine, Jason Sneed. Um, I'm not looking forward to it, but Jason's a really passionate guy, so I'm glad he'll be on it. Um, Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s. Thank you.